0: Welcome to Newborn News, a podcast where we discuss educational topics for medical professionals who care for newborns. I'm your host, Dr. Nita Goley, a pediatrician in the UT Southwestern Newborn Nursery. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we'll be discussing the care of late preterm infants. We're joined today by Dr. Rushman Savani, the division chief of neonatal and perinatal medicine at UT Southwestern. Thanks for joining us today.
1: It's good, great to be here.
0: So let's start with the basics. What do we mean by term, preterm, and late preterm?
1: Of course, the terminology in this area has been very confused over the years. Uh, you know, we've had quite a few names uh, marginally preterm or moderately preterm, even mildly preterm, which uh, I find surprising, of course, uh, and then near term or almost term. And I think we've settled down with the categories of late preterm infants and early term infants. And um, uh, there's a good definition of that so that if you are um, between 34 and 36 and six-sevenths you are a late preterm infant. Uh, If you are 37 uh, to 38 and six-sevenths you are now an early term infant. And then if you get above that and go on to forty-one and six-sevenths, you are now a late-term infant. And I think it's important to define that because it looks like the optimal time to be born is around thirty-nine to forty weeks. And even if you are a week earlier, we might think of that as term, but they still have uh, complications that can occur. The rate of uh, late preterm birth has uh, increased uh, over the years from about 7.3% to 9% between 1900 and 90 to 2006, and accounts for 84% of the entire rate of prematurity increase over that time. And that's really based on sort of uh, boutique deliveries, so that mom says, you know, I need to go on vacations. I need to have my birth um, next Friday morning, please. Uh, And the obstetrician says, actually, I'm going away. I'm going on conference or whatever. We're going to deliver you on such and such date rather rather than waiting for the natural labor to start. And I think that a lot of these um, boutique kind of deliveries were happening in the late 90s and early 2000s. And it wasn't until we appreciated the fact that being just a late preterm or an early term infant has consequences for you that the uh, no elective delivery before 39 weeks came about. And we have to thank the March of Dimes and the American Academy of Pediatrics and other organizations for really uh, championing that cause.
0: So why are late preterm infants different from the rest of preterm infants?
1: So late preterm infants are unique because um, uh, when I was growing up as a neonatologist many moons ago, some of these infants, a lot of these infants ended up in the NICU. Uh, As our newborn care has improved, as our newborn nurseries have improved, um, if you're a late preterm infant, 35 weeks and above, you actually end up in the normal newborn nursery. So these infants are not term babies not even early term babies and they're now in the normal newborn nursery uh, where there are a lot more babies, Lot f- the staffing ratios are different so that uh, one nurse will be taking care of several babies and so they are observed less stringently, appropriately less stringently uh, in the newborn nursery but you have to identify the babies that are late preterms or early terms because they're the ones who can have more difficulties. And so we need to pick out the babies that are having problems uh, in the newborn nursery. So that's where the real problem starts, is that these babies are now well enough to go to the normal nursery and can have difficulties there.
0: And how might they be different from the other preterm babies who remain in the NICU?
1: So the preterm babies, uh, of course, uh, have far fewer um, stores. They they are immediately recognized as being preterm, so that we don't anticipate they will feed properly and will need tube feedings and maybe IV support, etc. Whereas the late preterm infants, they look well and they look healthy, and their Apgar scores are great, and they end up in the normal nursery. Uh, so it's important to recognize that the NICU will take the babies that are preterm and appropriately observe them carefully, etc. But we need to be careful about the late preterm infants and the early term infants that end up in the newborn nursery where they could have complications. And there may be a delay in identifying them.
0: What kind of complications should we watch out for?
1: So um, the surprising thing for me was to look at the rates of different complications uh, in term versus late preterm infants. And uh, if we take, for example, Uh, respiratory distress syndrome. Uh, The incidence of respiratory distress syndrome at term is about 0.1%. At 35 to 36 weeks, it's 2%. So that's a 20-fold increase in the rate of uh, RDS. Uh, So while 2% is not that big a number, the fold increase is huge. So they don't behave like term infants. Of course, if you're 33 to 34 weeks, the incidence is about 10 to 12%. Uh, for example, uh, transient tachypnea of the newborn, uh, term babies uh, incidence is about uh, 0. 0.7, 0. 0.5 to 0.7%. Uh, late preterm infants, it's 5%. So there's a uh, almost tenfold increase in the incidence uh, of uh, TTN. Uh, apnea, for example, is zero in term babies. We never see apnea in term babies, and, uh, unless they have some genetic disorder, of course. Uh, but uh, late preterm infants, the risk of apnea can be four to five percent, and these are babies sometimes that get discharged at two days from the normal nursery and end up having apneic episodes at home and then get readmitted with um, uh, acute life-threatening events. Uh, other things that uh, can go wrong are temperature instability. The more preterm you are, the more difficulty you have in controlling your temperature. Uh, this doesn't appear to happen uh, with normal clothing and wrapping of term babies, but it can be as high as 10% in late preterm infants. Um, and um, the hyperbilirubinemia that occurs uh, preterm infants obviously don't have as well developed a, a conjugation system etc uh, to deal with the uh, uh, increased uh, bilirubin load that happens after birth and so the late preterm infants will have a higher incidence of hyperbilirubinemia uh, such that uh, term infants uh, will have um, uh, almost no delay in discharge due to hyperbilirubinemia Whereas uh, up to 15 to 16% of late preterm infants will have prolonged uh, jaundice that will delay their discharge. Uh, we've t- uh, talked about hypoglycemia. These babies um, clearly uh, will not feed properly. They uh, have fewer stores because they're smaller. Uh, and they can have uh, increased risk of hypoglycemia. So there's a four-fold increase in the risk of hypoglycemia in late preterm infants compared to uh, term infants. One surprising thing about in- increased morbidity in late preterm infants is that their mortality is increased. So their uh, rate of mortality, of course, in term infants is extremely low. But when you measure it in late preterm infants, you can get a two- to five-fold increase in the mortality in these infants.
0: What should parents expect when their babies grow up in terms of um, outcomes later in life for late preterm infants?
1: Yeah, this is the, uh, the statistic that I found most shocking. Uh, the incidence of IQ scores less than 85 Uh, Is uh, increased in infants that are late preterm infants. So a full scale IQ, for example, can be less than eighty five. Fourfold higher incidence of that, Uh, and uh, in performance IQ testing, it can also be about uh, fourfold increase of abnormal findings. There's also an increased uh, incidence of socio-emotional problems so that uh, uh, they have problems with uh, internalizing, externalizing attention problems, uh, and this is all increased in late preterm infants. These all result in anxiety, depression, uh, somatic complaints and withdrawal, uh, as well as long-term uh, aggression and delinquency. So, you know, adolescents that have these long-term psychological and psychiatric problems uh, one should be wise and get a history of what happened at birth uh, were they actually a late preterm infant uh, and that might explain some if not all of the uh, aggressive behavior that is being observed in adolescence.
0: Are there anything that we as clinicians or parents can do to mitigate these morbidities?
1: Uh, so uh, obviously um, Decreasing the rate of preterm birth would be wonderful. Uh, We uh, uh, have made great strides in um, uh, decreasing the rate of uh, preterm delivery. The initiative to have no elective births uh, less than 39 weeks, I think, was instrumental in decreasing the rate of prematurity in this country. Uh, Although um, we we still find that there's some uh, some of that still goes on. Uh, there's great data, for example, in uh, pre- and post-studies that were done before the institution of 39 weeks as a cutoff date for elective uh, deliveries. Uh, one such study uh, by uh, Oshiro uh, in uh, 2009 showed that the uh, elective deliveries before 39 weeks uh, in the period one, which was the pre-cohort occurred in 28% of uh, pregnancies, which, uh, which is quite high. And that, of course, uh, by definition, when they instituted no elective deliveries before 39 weeks, fell down to 3%. Uh, so clearly 25% of those deliveries didn't need to happen uh, before 39 weeks. Um, that had consequences, so that um, uh, the rate of cesarean section was almost doubled Uh, neonatal uh, morbidities were increased um, uh, such that uh, meconium aspiration syndrome was higher in the ones that were delivered um, before 39 weeks. Uh, Respiratory distress syndrome appeared to be about the same uh, and the incidence of mechanical ventilation appeared to be about the same, Uh, but um, uh, the rate of stillbirth, for example, was increased ninefold. It was only 0.09 a percent, so it's an extremely low number, but it was ninefold higher than what occurs if you waited till 39 weeks. So, uh, you know, it, it had profound effects on the the nature of outcomes for these babies, just uh, uh, stopping and not delivering electively before 39 weeks. So, for example, uh, our own hospital, Parkland Hospital, instituted the uh, note, elective delivery before 39 weeks, um, 20 years ago. And consequently, at the time when the United States preterm birth level was going up between 1995 and 2002, uh, the rate of prematurity at Parkland actually fell by 50%. And so uh, Parkland's prematurity rate still remains lower than the national averages, mainly from good prenatal care. Uh, adequate um, addressing of all prenatal issues and the prevention of elective births uh, before 39 weeks.
0: So once we have these late preterm babies who are taking care of, what special precautions should we take?
1: Well the first thing is to make sure we identify the babies. Right? We've talked about the fact that the incidence of um, late preterm births having problems is quite small. So even if you have a 2 to 5% incidence, we have to identify those patients first. So it's important to identify those that are at risk. So when we are looking at maternal histories and, and what happened to the babies um, at the time of birth, uh, a younger gestational age, for example, so if you're more 35 weeks compared to 37 weeks, you're likely to have more difficulty. If you're small for gestational age, that increases your risk of uh, problems. If you're a multiple gestation, those babies are usually acting more premature than their gestational age would uh, suggest. Um, For instance, if they did not have antenatal steroids, and a lot of, um, you know, past 34 weeks, we don't give antenatal steroids. So um, it's important to know whether they got antenatal steroids or not. Uh, they may have had an elective caesarean delivery, and that sometimes happens before 39 weeks. So if that was an elective C-section before 39 weeks, that's a baby you ought to be more careful with. So in looking at all the risk factors that might contribute for a baby becoming a late preterm infant, we can use those to identify the babies that we need to observe more closely. And it's really incumbent on the newborn staff um, to do that. Uh, In managing this situation, it's important that good communications occur between the pediatrician and the uh, obstetrician. Uh, That uh, counseling between those two uh, and an accurate determination of what the gestational age is, is really important. We know that if you determine gestational age in the later part of pregnancies, it can be wrong up to two weeks. an error, and that can make a huge difference if you're a late preterm infant. If you're born at 35 weeks, you could be 37, or if you're born at 37, you could actually be a 35-weeker. So it's important to get the gestational age correct. Last menstrual period, or early ultrasound, uh, growth trajectories and growth measurements can give you the best hope of getting a good uh, assessment of what the gestational age is. Uh, these discussions between OB and pediatric pediatrics can limit or eliminate the elective deliveries before 39 weeks. And we should have appropriate admission criteria to the NICU. So if some criteria are met, then those babies get transferred to the NICU so that they can be watched even more closely uh, if need be. We obviously don't want every baby going to the NICU because we don't have NICUs that big. uh, So triaging patients, making sure we look at the ones that are at risk, and then the ones that are having quite significant problems can be transferred to the NICU. Um, watching feeding closely would be really important. These babies are at higher risk for getting dehydrated and becoming hypoglycemic. Uh, following transcutaneous bilirubins, of course, is very important, uh, and then watch for signs of apnea or or, or distress, right? The really important thing is to counsel the parents before sending this baby home. Uh, They need to know that while the physiologic transition has occurred and the APGAR scores were fine, that this baby merits a little more closer watching and a quicker reaction if something amiss happens. Uh, So if the baby... Is cold or has feeding difficulties, uh, we should ask them to seek the pediatrician's help uh, more quickly uh, than if they had been a term kid greater than 39 weeks.
0: Dr. Savani, thanks so much for joining us for this great talk today. Uh, To end today's episode, what tips do you have for success for our listeners while they're taking care of newborns?
1: Well, it's always good to be vigilant, uh, assess risk factors, be proactive in identifying babies at higher risk, institute prompt uh, interventions, and uh, with appropriate criteria that you can develop with your NICU, and with um, your obstetricians, you can uh, successfully uh, have uh, healthy babies in the normal newborn nursery, and only transfer the ones that really need to get transferred to the NICU, because we obviously want to be taking care of sick babies in the NICU. not well ones. Um, So I think good communication within all parts of your system and appropriate uh, triage criteria that have been developed is the best way to take care of babies.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: It's been great, Nita. Thanks.
0: Thanks for listening to Newborn News. We hope you join us next time. If you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. If you have questions, comments, feedback, or suggestions for future episodes, please email me at newbornnews at utsouthwestern.edu. As a reminder, this content is educational and is not meant to be used as medical advice. Views or opinions expressed in this podcast are those of myself and my guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the university.